What's up everyone, welcome to episode 28 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by noise.co.uk. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I'm joined by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, nearly two months after our last podcast that we did together, how are you? I'm well. I was starting to have withdrawal symptoms, mate, but we're here back again in our bullshit in 2020. Mate. Obviously, I've seen you several times since then, but I have missed just sitting at a microphone with you. Likewise, mate. It's um, got a good one today as well, haven't we? Yes, we have. We will get into that just shortly. For those that are wondering what I meant by it's been nearly two months since me and Sam sat and did the podcast, uh, we had like somewhat of a Christmas break, but during that Christmas break, we recorded our Album of the Year show, which you can find on YouTube. That did tremendously well, by the way. Massive thank you to everyone that viewed that. We got a few extra subscribers through it as well. It was wicked. And we also recorded uh, the Chris Meets Jack episode. Chris Meets is a brand new uh, section of the podcast where I grab people who are in the music industry and do like somewhat of a profile interview on them and talk about their life and how they're going to music and that kind of thing. So although me and Sam have been theoretically away for two months... The content has still been coming out thick and fast for you on the podcast. And I'm very grateful, both myself and Sam, for everyone who has listened. Um, and now we're back at it, normal schedule, every two weeks. And sometimes uh, we'll do an extra one in the week that we would miss as well, depending on how busy we are. Me and Sam coming at you, giving you the latest rock and metal chat, album reviews, live reviews. Sam's 100 greatest metal of albums of all time. This which we're starting to really get to the nitty gritty now, aren't we, Sam? I'm excited about what comes next for that. Yeah, like top 32, I think we're at now. I mean, and, and this is where it gets to the nitty gritty. I didn't put enough emphasis on the nitty and gritty previously. We're getting there. Yeah, yeah. Emphasis on both nitty and gritty. Mostly gritty. Uh, yeah, what... to be fair. There's <laughs> knowing you. Slightly, knowing there's you. Le- substantial amounts of nitty, but uh, less than the amount of gritty. <laughs> So on the first episode back, uh, we got caught at a tremendous time. Actually, there was a lot, a lot of new out, new music coming out. We kind of left it. We didn't want. To, I did. We could have started really right at the beginning of January again doing the podcasting, but I wanted to wait until we had a real collection of new music to talk about. So three album reviews on this week's show, all coming out on the seventh of February. We got Silosis, Sepultura, and Loathe. Three very different albums there. So there's going to be a lot of interesting chat. Just before we go any further, Sam, I'm just curious. I've never asked you this before when we're about to start a show. What's your favourite of the three? The three bands that we're, that we're the, discussing today? The three al- What's your favourite of the three albums? Well, this is, are you starting off with this? Silosis, mate. We'll say no more. I was just curious about which, which was your favourite of the three. What about you? Silosis as well, bro. So okay. I'm looking forward to getting into that chat. You'll have noticed by the title of this episode that this is the Chris Meets Adam D'Amico episode. Uh, he's the Lorna Shaw guitarist. Now, there is a discussion that I, I want to have here about that before we go any further. I'm sure most of you at home are aware the situation that is, has gone on recently with Lorna Shaw and their former vocalist CJ McCreary. If you're not, Google it. It's not for me to discuss the details. The interview that I had with Adam actually quite predated the announcement that CJ was leaving the band. There were segments in the interview where we were talking about CJ because at that time he was a member and the news that broke had not come anywhere near breaking. So what I'm going to do, I am going to play the interview because it was a great interview and Adam D'Amico is a tremendous guitarist but he's an even nicer person. A really, really, really interesting chat. He was very nice and courteous to me. 
we really went into a great discussion on how close the band had previously come to breaking up and his favourite time in music and all that kind of interesting stuff. But I will be cutting out the parts where we where we spoke about CJ. So if you hear any weird cutouts in the interview, that is because I've decided to go in and remove the parts where we spoke about CJ's time in the band and how that came to be, etc. Just because I didn't think it would be fitting or necessary to include it in the interview. So, yes, I spoke to Adam D'Amico, really cool guy. It much predated the uh, news about CJ McCreary. As well as that, on this week's episode, we're going to do live reviews on Slipknot and Sleep Token, which is, again, going to be fascinating chat. That Mate, we had a weekend, yeah? Yeah, we really did, mate. Slipknot Friday, Sleep Token Saturday, two very disparate styles of gigs, but... Uh, absolutely superb, all the same. I've got no doubt we're going to agree there. But before we go into the Slipknot Live review, which we're going to start with, Sam, I do want to give you the floor for just a moment uh, to talk about uh, the late Rush drummer, Neil Pert, someone who you have told me several times you hold quite an affinity with. Mate, the floor is yours. Um, yeah, I... it was just such a tragic, such a tragic situation to happen to one of the great rock drummers of all time. Um, as far as as far as I'm concerned on a personal level, um, Neil Peart was one of my one of my inspirations growing up. Um, one of the reasons I decided to pick up a pair of drumsticks, and he was that for so many people, not just myself. Um, he's he's much much inspiring style, and the way that the way that the way that he played was often mimicked but never replicated. Um, he's songwriting his lyricism his intelligence um was evident in every every song he put himself on but he was also a a great writer and a great speaker and a great person and went through an incredible lot in his life um including losing both his daughter and his wife within a month of each other about a decade and a half ago um he's since remarried and had other children and stuff but the sort of grief that he went through was was difficult to imagine but simply put in terms of his impact on the music industry he was the heartbeat of one of the greatest bands of all time the heartbeat of one of the most influential progressive rock and metal bands ever you take a look at the bands that have been influenced by rush the 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 list could go on and on from like metallica and kiss downward to like tenacious d and smashing pumpkins like the the in terms of alternative music the list goes far and wide um and neil Peart essentially is i think is in terms of his ability his longevity um his individuality in the genre i think he's i think he's the greatest rock drummer of all time uh you can people can tell me about john bonham and ringo Starr and and um keith moon um and any variety of of classic rock drummers um i will take neil Peart over any one of those just simply for his, his his ability to play pretty much anything he laid his hands on, because outside of Rush he was also he also played in jazz bands and played Latin songs. And when he played um, drum solos, it wasn't the classic like when you watch Joey Jordison, he does just it's great, but it's like for like fifteen minutes. Whereas um, Neil Peart used to do drum solos where he'd have five minute segments where he'd press a button, the drum kit would switch around and shift around him, and be replaced by an electronic drum kit that he'd play without missing a beat and then he'd press another button and a backing track from a jazz band would play and he'd play along with that as well and then slip back into a normal drum solo it's 
his ability to to stretch the boundaries of what we thought a percussionist could be and what a percussionist was has never been greater from Neil Pierce than anybody else's, I think. And I think if you listen to um, some of the drum tracks, you'd be as astonished by the intricacy and ability as you are by the subtlety and intelligence. And I think, once again, rock music and the metal world and the alternative music and music in general has lost one of its one of its greatest and most faithful servants today. Well, in the, in the last few months, and I personally was gutted. I think it's a tremendous loss to the music world. So, we saw Slipknot, mate, um, last Friday, Birmingham NIA Arena, sold out as most of the UK tour was. Yes. Interesting time to catch Slipknot. Yes. Saw them, as everyone will probably know, saw them at download. I thought they were great. They captured the crowd 100%. Great level of intensity. We Are Not Your Kind had was yet to come out. It wasn't out by that point. All we had was Unsainted. Had Unsainted come out by then? I think Unsainted had come out by then, yeah. And we had All Out Life as well. Mm-hmm. So we didn't quite know what was coming. But it did feel like Slipknot were in a much better position pre-album release than they were on the Grey Chapter five years previously. I think that's fair to say, isn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, they were, they're more settled now. And just the, the feel around the band, they, they felt like there was much more hype around We Are Not Your Kind than there was the Grey Chapter. What you could put that down to, I don't know. That's just a personal observation that I made. We Are Not Your Kind came out. I was a fan. You were less of. You didn't, you didn't, dislike, you didn't dislike the album, but you were like... There's not a lot of great I can say about it either. It it sits somewhere in between disappointing and good for me. Is is right? I remember that you feel like the bare bounds of what you were saying. Yeah, it was a it was a good, not great album. So new decade, new set list for Slipknot. Let's pass it to you, man. What do you think? I think they're doing exactly what every band needs to do uh, at this stage of their career. I think. They 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 made some changes. You mentioned you mentioned the setlist. Obviously, Spit Air was taken out. Um, I think that's perhaps a nod to this being a new a new transition away. Um, I got the impression that Corey Taylor was a little bit resentful about having to sing White and Bleed, um, mentioning that the only reason that they've put it back in the setlist is because people quote bitched that it wasn't at download, and then he wanted people to sing for him because he quote was a bitch to sing. Which I accept both of those things being true, but it's one of their five biggest songs, so you know maybe put it in the set list. So, um, but that 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 aside, I think that Slipknot are now trying to establish themselves as more than just those first three albums, and they're trying to balance it evenly. I think there's an awareness that you have to if you're playing 17 tunes and people are playing 65 quid. To, <coughs> excuse me, people are playing 65 quid to see you then you have to play at least 10 um, really, really massive hit songs to, to justify your performance. But I think Slipknot are attempting, and that's the, that's the word, this word I'll transition, that's the word I'll sort of continue to use with Slipknot at the moment. They're attempting to transition, I think, into a more, uh, a more mature and thoughtful stage of their career. And the set list and the way that they interacted with the crowd is, is 1,000% um, with that vibe, I think. Well, they have become the the premier metal band of the 21st century, haven't they? Yes. 
They are doing Knotfest in the UK. Me and you bought a ticket. They are doing Knotfest at sea, which I think is really cool. A cruise ship with a festival on that Slipknot are going to headline. I mean, that's just wicked, isn't it? I think that's such a really cool, interesting banner they can have on their wall that they headline this festival on a cruise ship, a festival of their own creation. And I think, I, I thought they were tremendous. You need to look at Slipknot for, for what it is. <laughs> and again, similar to We Are Not Your Kind, man, you cannot have been walking into the NIA Arena and hoping that it's going to be like a two, an early 2000 Slipknot show. I'm not saying that either of me and you did that. I'm just saying anyone that could have had any criticisms in the sense of, oh, well, the set this was a little bit lighter and it, it wasn't as wild as I expected. They are in their late 40s and some of them mid-50s, Clown uh, specifically. So I, I think they actually did a tremendous job with what they did. Mate, bringing Eeyore into the set list, I'll have that every day. As well as New Abortion, I love that that was in the set list. Bringing Eyeless back in, mate, gimme. And then, okay, there was no People Equal shit, but a final five songs of All Out Life, Duality, Sick, People Equal shit and Surfacing. I mean, you know, I, I feel like we're splitting hairs if we're disputing the concept of Spit It Out being in there. Because All Out Life's a new song. So you, you, let's just put a pin in All Out Life. The other four are all-time great metal songs of this of this century. So I feel like we are splitting hairs if we're talking about, oh, they didn't play Spit It Out, man. I wanted to get down and jump up. Man, if you haven't done that with Slipknot by now, you, 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 you're probably never going to because, man, they've been doing that since what? Mid-2000s? Yeah, 20 years, I think. I think you do it for... Uh do it every gig then i imagine you want to transition out of it a little bit and i, and I accept that i think slipknot are reaching that that point in their careers that all bands tend to when you try and chop and change things up because you've been doing it for a little while and then in about five or ten years if they're still touring at that point they'll get nostalgic and then they'll do like a reclamation sort of tours they're in that like late 90s stage that metallica were in when they're just starting to sort of branch away from the classic stuff and sort of do what they want and that's perfectly fine i mean I actually haven't been in a Slipknot show where Corey Taylor's asked me to beat up the man next to me less. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't be, I don't recall being asked to incite any violence for two hours, and um, that's really rare because every other Slipknot show I've went to, it's like he's wanted me to um, to sort of set the coronavirus out in the middle of the mosh pit, to be honest. But um, I think, I think you have to just like you said. I think you're right. What these people just because they wear masks doesn't mean they don't show age. Like Father Time is undefeated, and and at some point these dudes are going to slow down, and the music reflects that. The albums change have reflected that. If you're expecting to bring out an album like the last two albums have been, and then come out like they're 19 again live, I, th I think it's it's misinformed, isn't it? At the very least. Let's talk about how the new song sounded live. Unsainted, tremendous opener. Oh, I agree. I agree. I always quite like the um, I always quite like the first album off the new album sort of opening. Um, I've got I've got a lot of time for that, and I think it com the band comes right out the gate powerfully. I think I think it works perfectly well. I think Slipknot could open with a cover of Last Ketchup's Ketchup song, and I think I'd think it was terrific if they did it with Pyros and Corey Taylor. Yeah, that's that. I mean, that's that's a fair point. Um, Nero Forte, uh, in, straight into before I forget, I thought that mix was fantastic. Both got like re really big melodic choruses. Solway first sounded really brutal, man. 
Yep. I, re- I really liked how aggressive Corey was, was, was burning over the microphone. And then they did uh, Birth of the Cruel as well, which I really loved the opening drum fill for. And I think I turned to you and said, I'm kind of buzzing for when they play Birth of the Cruel because the opening drum fill is really like morose and dark and really like gritty. I, 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 I thought it was a really, really tremendous premier professional metal show. Now, we're now professional and, and Slipknot don't on two entities that would blend together seamlessly or at least you would imagine so but this is what i felt it was a professional premier metal show now I, I would like to wager a bet that at not fest we will see people um spit it out i think i think i think we'll get it at a festival yeah because it's because it's it's the biggest show they've ever played in the uk not fest They've never done it here before. They're at Milton Keynes Bowl, massive stadium. Yeah, they'll be tempted to get 30,000 people sort of sitting down, won't they? Oh, absolutely. Just just for their viral videos alone. And I guess the best barometer of how much you enjoyed this show was, let me ask you, uh, do you regret buying NotFest tickets now? Because so far, only Slipknot are announced. So, so far, we've paid nearly £100 to see Slipknot in the stadium. Do you regret? No, no, I don't. I, I think if it was just Slipknot, I'd still probably pay. Yeah, and there we are. And I guess that says everything that people listening need to know. This was a tremendously solid, great metal show. I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed this this incantation of Slipknot. And I do believe that you really need to take advantage of them while they're around. Because despite the interviews that they give where they're like, no, no, we'll be fine. We've got another five, ten, ten years I think we're edging towards five more than anything else, personally. So, you know, take advantage of having Slipknot here while we've got them, is my thing. Because I think come the middle of the next decade, we might be really starting to narrow down towards the end. And we don't need to discuss why. We've discussed why at length several times, haven't we? Yeah, if I set the over-under at new Slipknot albums at one and a half, are you taking the over? Uh yes. So at least two. Um, that's what oh, you're saying for over one and a half. God, I mean, I'm, I'm no, yeah, no, but no, you're making me really think about it. Um, no, sorry, no, I think they've got one more. Okay, one more, and then either as Jim Root has gone on record and said, "I'd like us to just disappear," or Slipknot comes back with like a couple of new members. Claim will be nearly sixty in five years. Do you know what I mean? This is crazy. Yeah, we've got to really be hitting a walking stick off a beer keg. We, we've instead, got to really it? think about this. He's going to be nearly sixty in five years, and Claim is fantastic and the, one of the real beating hearts of Slipknot. But uh, you, you know, as you mentioned, let's talk about time here. Let's just be realistic about this. You know. Yeah, I, 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 I don't believe the bravado. I mean, Claim gave an interview to Metal Hammer in two thousand and eight that said if a member of Slipknot died or left, we'd all leave because that's that's who Slipknot are, and yeah. then literally that thing exactly like that happened a year later, and they conveniently forgot that Clown had said that. Well, yeah, you know, obviously life's unpredictable, and obviously they've considered things. It is, and, and the thing you tell a journalist is one thing, and the thing you actually do when there's opportunities on the line is a completely different thing. And I think, I think, I think, I think we're, I think we're talking about Slipknot shows at least until 2025. Beyond that, it's anybody's guess. Moving on, Sam. Yes. To a show that I was actually more excited for than Slipknot, and Slipknot are one of my favourite bands. Yeah, I think I think that's fair to say for me as well, mate. Mate, we caught Sleep Token at the Mill in Birmingham, sold out show. Wow, uh, where do I begin? Um, anyone that listened to our review 
or album of the year show will be fully aware that myself and you thought this <laughs> we're, album... we're a bit a little, little bit a little bit in love with this band <laughs> yeah. Yeah. myself and you thought sundowning was just this unbelievable incredibly unique in a world that's very hard to be unique album that was just mesmeric from beginning to end one of those albums where the second i listened to it i messaged you and i was like dude I don't care what you're doing. You must listen to this Sleep Token album right now. And within five minutes, you messaged me back and you were like, wow, this is like spellbind. I cannot believe this. So you translate that to a live um, setting. And I mentioned this with being as an ocean as well. I was thinking to myself, I wonder how this is going to translate live in the sense that, like, of how much live music there will actually be and whether I'll be picking up and bothered as to how much of it is programmed. But actually, within 10 seconds of the band coming on stage, I forgot all about that and was just absolutely engulfed in this, perfor- yeah, it was a performance. I don't think I've stayed still at a show more in my entire life, and I mean that as a 100% compliment. I was 100% entrenched in the performance that was in front of me. I said to yourself and the, the, the lads that we were with, if it wasn't for the fact that I could hear Vessel, the vocalist, adding nuances onto the vocal lines, I would swear that, that, that he wasn't singing live. Because his recreation of the record is s- s- mimics the studio sound so unbelievably well that there must be a robot inside him. <laughs> that, that's got this that's got the album like on shuffle ready to fit the set list because I, I couldn't believe how closely it matched there was an atmosphere in the show that was again very unique it was there was a great range of demographic that was hitting of course mostly it was people there that you could tell were into alternative music but I mean age range Stood around us was everything from 18-year-old kids to, like, full-grown, like, <laughs> beards down to their stomachs dudes that were, like, really into it. And and that speaks volumes, really, because, you know, let, let's call it what it is. Sleep Token are the furthest thing from a metal band, you'll find. Yeah, there was a, there's a dirty breakdown in Hire, and the start of Gods has got the lowest tuning of a guitar you're probably to, likely to find last year. But generally, they're, they're the furthest thing from a metal band you'll find. They're, they're alternative pop. They're, they're, they're the Pet Shop Boys mixed with, God, insert any alternative band. It, you know, it, it's Joy Division mixed with Pet Shop Boys. It's crazy. It's this marriage of every single genre you could think of, but then all of a sudden it blends into this atmosphere that you, you just won't experience anywhere else. And, they were absolutely like phenomenal, and I'm going to let you talk about the drummer because obviously you're the expert in that field. But Vessel put in a vocal performance that me and you said several times no one will ever match Spencer Satello from Periphery. That time we saw them in Manchester, it was just another level. But man, Vessel's performance here, I would put it up there, man. It was a vocal performance that I have just never experienced anything like and this band are special this is we are lucky to be living in a period where we can talk about in 10 years time yeah man i saw sleep token when they were headlining a 600 cap venue in birmingham we saw that and i think there is 
a meteoric rise to come for this band. What are your thoughts? I echo a lot of them. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a gig like this. Uh, in terms of the performance and stuff, and I, I mean, take away the obvious stuff. I mean, and I'm not. People are gonna might, might talk away from that thinking. Well, yeah, you dickhead. They're doing cloaks and masks. Um, but I've seen Slipknot several times, so <laughs> um, I've seen bands that have done weird gimmicks and stuff. It isn't the first time a band's covered their face. It, it's not about that. They could have come out dressed as they normally are, and it wouldn't have made it wouldn't have made a difference at all. Um, but the performance here, um, the combination of Vessel's voice, um, the rest of the band, the mix, the ambience of the of the performance, just the the genuine feeling um, that. I was witnessing something incredibly rare um, and incredibly special um, and uniquely so. Uh, sometimes you can watch a metal band and, and you can say that this is special and you know why you're like, this is special because the, that guitarist is fantastic or this breakdown is terrific or this crowd are um, really into it and it, they sort of combined together. This was special in a sort of intangible way where it felt like um, there was like a, a spark like a real feeling of sort of electricity coming from the band. Um, there was a real intrigue and mystery uh, surrounding them that the music adds to. And when they came out and performed it, the, the combination of the vocals and the musicianship here was just astonishing. Um, this album is one of the best albums I've heard. It was the second best album I heard last year, um, but probably the most one of the most impactful albums I've heard in terms of jaw-dropping shock factor if that's even a phrase um in the last five years and to see that that translate so clearly and crisply to a live performance i found it astonishing it felt like i was standing in the studio sometimes or being surrounded by the band um they were entirely um attention sapping uh, you couldn't keep your eyes off the vocalists I couldn't, I couldn't keep myself from just sort of shaking my head and laughing to myself at just, just hearing how well it translated live and and just some of the songs here that I didn't expect to be so powerful uh, from a live performance that just were beautifully translated from the offering to to levitate to Jaws, um, to a just a plethora of stuff uh, when the bows break, just everything. Um, from this band, it was a perfectly weighted set list. They came on, they didn't say a word. They rattled through 15 of the best performed songs I've heard in a very long time, including some of the most, one of the most impactful albums I've heard in the last few years, and left as as, as inconspicuously as they came on. And I, I have I have never seen anything like it. And I I do think, like you say, that at some point I will look back on that gig and and see that as an incredibly special moment in my life not just for this, for for any purpose and any reason. And to, to follow on, like you say, in a musician sense, I don't think I've seen a better drummer live. Oh, mate, uh, again, continue. Because I, um, I, I, I kept getting, like, the greatest sense of joy by, like, your reactions to some of the fills and grace notes because the smile on your face, because it obviously, it, I mean, it, even for me, it's who's, far, who's far from an expert on, on, on as a drummer, even I could tell this guy is really special. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna start this off by by reeling off some of the drummers I've seen live. Um, Chris Adler, Joey Jordison, um, 
Jay Weinberg, um, the, the Travis Barker, the fellow from Periphery who, whose name escapes me right now, and I'm very very sorry because he's like top three. Um, I have never, I don't think I've seen a bad drawing performance. That's I, I, crazy, I, man. I, I mean it. I, I mean it. I, I've I've seen. I think I've seen every great drummer of the last decade in modern music, in modern rock and hardcore music and metal music. I've not seen a performance better than this. I'll explain. I'll explain why, in my opinion. Um, I've seen. I've also seen Dave Lombardo um, as well, and every Trivium drummer. They all. They're all brilliant. Um, the old these these sounds will keep coming to me as I'm going along. But um, the point the point that I make still stands. Um, I've. I've, you see, you see great metal drummers, right? And 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 it's it's pace, and it's precision, and it's it's style is murder. It's how fast, how how prolific, how quick, how how quick is your bass pedal? How fast are your tom fills? How how much can you match the shredding guitars? And then when we do the breakdowns, can you match with your feet what the guitarist is doing on the breakdown? If he's playing triplets, then that's what your feet need to be doing. And it's incredibly impressive, but it's also incredibly, incredibly mechanical, and it's and it's and it's sort of like the musician equivalent of watching hundred meter sprinters all the time, or watching one of those machines paint the side of cars. It's just perfect every time. This drummer was like watching an artist, a guy who abundantly understands the role of a drummer, both in subtlety. Matching the music and providing the fills where they need to be, but also with a real dexterity and delicacy that that I, I have I have not heard since since really since really ever live. It, it was it was a performance that reminded me of Piet in the sense of it's like the rolling fills and the combination of the hi hats and some of the splash work. And some of the combinations of of the ride of the China mixed in with the, the sort of the polyrhythms that he's doing against the back of some of this guitar work. And the fact is, he's really um, Sleep Token's music. Obviously, Vessel is extraordinary, and but some of the actual the, the the engine of the song tends to be fairly simplistic. It's piano led or it's simplistic chords. What he's able to accomplish over the top of that is the equivalent of rapping a a beautiful vineyard around a concrete slab, you know, just the intricacies sort of um, flitting in and out of the cracks um, and adding sort of this element of nature and life to something that's usually so grey and blocked and solid. Uh, and that that's what it was. Um, it's just it's just an extraordinary performance um, by a drummer that I'm actually glad that I don't know the name of because I think that adds to it a little bit. Uh, yeah, and I, yeah. I can say that I saw the greatest metal performance of my life, and I have no fucking clue who it who it's by. Yeah, that's cool, man. It's it's like it's like being in a fairy tale. Um, but I, honestly, I, I love I love Travis Barker, um, but he overpowers the song sometimes. Um, I love I love a, a collection of metal drummers, but it too often it's about speed rather than ability, and. That's the reason why I used to revere Piet because you could put him in a Latin band or a jazz band or a funk band and he would just be at home. And I get the impression that this this guy's an outstanding drummer that just this just happens to be playing for Sleep Token. You could put him anywhere. It was just extraordinary. And I think 
some of this stuff, some of the stuff in the studio is fantastic. But just hearing it live and hearing how it, there's something different about hearing great percussion live. You know, the kick drum cuts through you and the snare drum cuts through you. Also, um, side note as well, shout to the sound engineer. Oh my goodness! Who yeah. in a 600 capped venue made sleep tokens sound like they were a five-piece philharmonic orchestra at times. This was astonishing in terms of the volume, but also the balance. At no point, and I've done this several times, we've done this to each other, at no point I've turned around to you and thought, well, the guitarist's a bit quiet or vocalist's a bit loud, because usually the drums and the guitar or the, the drums and the bass overpower the vocals so much yeah. that you have to strain a little bit. This was not the case. And it was just perfectly met, perfectly weighted and perfectly balanced by a band that, provided that they all stay together and i really hope now i won't be able to tell i hope it stays this iteration for another album because i think i think they've, they've stumbled onto something magical and, and it was a real honestly it felt like a privilege to be there i really mean that i kind of put this to you outside the gig but i, I i'll put it to you again in terms of sleep tokens growth on the live scene who do they support? Uh, you know, do you think that could end up being a problem for them? Um, perhaps, but I think if they, if they keep getting bigger, then they'll support somebody anyway. Do you know what I mean? But like, who? Like, because no, because they're so unique and they're such an experience on their own. Yeah. Who? It's like, like I remember Corey Taylor said that no one wanted to say Slipknot on tour with them. Because no one wanted to play after them. And I don't mean the same for Sleep Token in the sense of the utter chaos. What I mean is, how do you follow that? And what does that work with? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. It's a, it's a, strange, it's a strange situation. I, I think I could suggest bands that I'd be interested to see them follow. Not from a personal perspective. I just... I think it'd work. Like fans that would enjoy them. Uh, could, couldn't you see them supporting Don Brocco? Like in the weirdest way, maybe like yeah. The, vo- the maybe. voices match. The voices match up a little bit. They're that that kind of pseudo heavy, but not really that heavy combination. Yeah, maybe that's a decent shout. I, th- I, I think could, I, I think periphery fans. Anybody. I think periphery fans would get them. Oh yeah, I, I think that's the thing though, man. Look around and you you can see that anybody would enjoy them. Just get them on there. Like they could support Slipknot. Do you know what I mean? Like they're not they're not going to beat your head in. But they could open. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, 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 just fuck it. Just just put them on there. If you, if you want to put us... Because the thing is, if the fans don't want to see the band, they won't turn up. Yeah. And they'll just go for the headline anyway. So just stick them on. <laughs> like, it, what, what's the worst that can happen? They're opening. So just... I think the best thing that happened for Sleep Talking is for them to headline a small tent at a festival. Yeah. Put them, put them on, put them on that, put them on that small tent at Download, and they'll be the, they'll be the talk of the weekend. Coincidentally, they are playing Download, but they're not headlining. <laughs> that's a, that's a shame, but I think they will be next year. A stage. Like, yeah, someone, will, someone, yeah. Will, someone, will, someone will watch them and think, holy shit. Yeah. Someone really important. See, it, it, man, what a phenomenal, a phenomenal show! One of the great shows I've seen in a long time. Absolutely fucking tremendous. I agree. One of the best things I've ever seen. 
Mate, let's get to the three album reviews. We are stacked this episode and we haven't even done the news or the 100 greatest metal albums of all time. So we're going to go straight in on albums. Uh, mate, you know what? Let's start with Sepultura. Alright then, okay. Uh, new album, Quadra, out on the 7th of February through Nuclear Blast. Again, our absolute bros over at Nuclear Blast sorting us out. Thank you very much to Joe and Claire and the rest of the crew there. Yes, indeed. Sepultura's 15th... Good God, I'm old. Sepultura's 15th <laughs> album. Uh, although, this iteration of the band, it's their third album. Sam, do you remember when we reviewed... I believe the name of the album was Machine Messiah on... Yes, it was. Uh, Soundcheck. I do remember, yeah. Uh, do you remember us saying that... Like, we, we, what we were alluding to was... Okay, enough's enough here, lads. Uh, let's knock it on the head now. Are there, we, we weren't we weren't as bold as that, but that's kind of what we were alluding to, wasn't he? Yeah, um, and I think if we weren't afraid of members of Sepultura beating us up, which they all look <laughs> like they could quite easily, I think we would have gone down that route. Hey, mate, let's get into this album. Um, if I said to you two years ago, hey, mate, there's a Sepultura album coming out in 2020, um, four of the songs are absolute bangers, I reckon you'd have said, yeah, go on then, wouldn't you? Yeah, of course I would. Mate, uh, Isolation, Means uh-huh. to End, Capital Enslavement, and Raging Void. Mate, this is like... Really good. Mate, this is like top, top quality thrash metal. This isn't like, oh man, like it's great for thrash metal in 2020. Mate, this could they could have dropped this on Chaos ID, some of these. Well, I wouldn't go that far. No, no. Uh, it's what, very good. No, what I mean is, I don't mean like to take out the classics. I mean like, but they, they could have been in and around there. Yeah, it's just there's, there's there's a couple of there's a couple of good tunes on here. I I, I, I like I, it's it's a much 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 better album than I ever had any right to expect yeah. from this band at this now, stage of their career. And obviously Max and I go on in the band anymore, and they pretty much were Sepultura. For to most people, that is Sepultura, and this is like some weird offshoot that have somehow managed to retain the rights of the of the name. But man, Andreas Kisser vocal and guitarist mate performance on this from him I, th- I think this is in areas I think this is great it it does fall off uh, quite sharply at the end yeah C- come the end it does feel like man this could have done with being a nine track album but mate those four those four tracks this is worth listening to man it, this really caught me off guard I was expecting this to be really really quite a, a job to listen to, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely not. I, I, I actually enjoyed this. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed it too. In, in, in doses. I think, it, I think I agree with you in the sense that twelve tracks felt a bit of a task. Um, but I thought that four or five was really good. I want to give a shout to. I've, I, I've, I've not heard a scream that deep and bellowing. Um, really since that troll in the dungeon in the first <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> Just thought you ought to know. Um, there's, there's a couple of times where he's like, oh, and I'm like, my laptop's going to rattle. You angry young man. Well, yeah, it, it, oh, somewhat it's, of an old man. Yeah, you angry old man. Um, it, it, is, it is impressive. There's some there's some great riffs on here. I think, I don't want to beat a dead drum. I, mix Ma- I miss Max. But, um, yeah, man. But, Max has been out of the band longer than he's been in the band. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's been out since 96 and then came back for a little bit and then fucked off again. So, really, Sepultura has been around longer without him than it has been with him. And I miss Igor with the drums because I think it lacks a little bit of that, that tribalism from the percussion. Um that that it that it has that it used to have. But that being said, some of the riffs are really good. Um and it took me by surprise. I think I think it's clear that Andreas definitely used to be the guitarist that's now converted himself to the vocalist because there are points when he does the when he does the half shouting, half screaming bit and half shouting, half singing, he doesn't sound as comfortable doing that. Um but some of the vocals some of the vocals here are terrific. I think if you're a Sepultura fan, you're in. And I think you, you go you go into the next show. I, I don't think I think that's all it needs to do. Uh, I think this goes back on a shelf though and stays there. But I think oh, this yeah. is, you know what I mean. But I, I think this is a I think this is a good solid album that'll continue their legacy. I didn't know whether to laugh. I don't know whether to laugh or enjoy it. You know when um, I forgot the name of the song. The song that starts off acoustically. Yeah. Because in my head I was playing Sepultura cliche bingo. Yeah. And it's like, all right, at what point are the Brazilian tribesmen going to come in? Oh, there they are, track seven. <laughs> the and, like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, at what point are we going to hear the acoustic stuff yeah. that says, so it's like, oh, there it is. Um, well, at what point are we going to hear the um, un, dos, tres, cuatro, despite the yeah. fact that the guy that used to do that is no longer in the band, but there it is. Um, but, like, I, I, I did I did have a little bit of tongue-in-cheek when I heard some of those, but at the same time, I was glad that it was there. Yeah. It was like watching like a remake of um of an old TV show I used to love or something, and they were like sort of looking the camera and be like, "Hey, yes." And, and that, that's that's how I felt. Like it was cheeky and it was a little bit cheesy, and at times it felt like they're. It's weird because like without the Cavaleras, it sounds at times like a, a Sepultura covers band. Um, but overall, I was glad it was there. I enjoyed the trip. Um, I, I don't think it. I don't think it. It goes along with the, you know, the Mount Rushmore of Sepultura albums, of which no. there is legitimately, you know, Beneath Remains, Chaos ID, um, and Roots, at the very least, uh, are three of the defining albums of the late 80s and early 90s, without a shadow of a doubt. And it's okay that they aren't there because the two people that were the most responsible people for there aren't, but I appreciate that they're writing good riffs with solid drums and decent decent moments and, and ticking some of the boxes that made Sepultura as engaging as they were at the beginning. And I'm okay with it. Um, it's not brilliant, but it, it's not bad by any means. And it's much better than a uh, machine Messiah. I've thought about the claim that I made about some of these tracks could be on Chaos AD and it is a bit bold. So I will say that there, there could have at least been B sides. Could they, they could have they could have at least been on a covers version of Chaos AD called Chaos AB. <laughs> I'm going to stick with the uh, with B side. Or Chaos um, AE. Please stop. <laughs> See, me and you take the piss out of like th- thrash metal fans sometimes in the sense of like, yeah, oh yeah. mate, you love that band. When was the last good album? Fucking 1993. You've been listening to it for fucking 16 years. Get out of here. Um, <laughs> no, don't we though? No, don't, don't. You, no, we. Yes, we do. Don't you try and shy away from this. <laughs> don't try because we both do it. We're both like, oh yeah, man. Like, you're more, fuck. Oh, you're more anti-age than I am, though. I'm gonna go. On, I'm gonna put that on record. I mean, I mean, yes, but the, that's that's human. That's not my fault. That's that's their fault. 
For still listening to fucking... For still saying that X band isn't good because they don't sound like fucking Slayers raining blood. Do you know what I mean? I haven't but... got any badges that I can stitch on my denim jacket. <laughs> so... You, know, you were probably going to say something complimentary about those very people now, weren't you? What I was going to say is... We, we... I'll say I... I take the piss and scoff to them sometimes because I just feel like they really need to be brought into the 21st century. However, this album is somewhat of a testament to, you know what, mate, keep listening because eventually they might, <laughs> yeah, they, they might drop the one. Century. <laughs> yeah. yeah, mate, keep listening because eventually they might do an album that is actually a, a service to them and it is worth you sticking around for these three decades. If you wait re- long enough, 1987 will come to you. <laughs> yeah, the, if, if they'll give you a couple of songs that'll make you feel like, oh, like, um, it's 1988. Again, this is great. I, I like this album. You made a good point that it's a shelf album. I'm not going to be going back to this throughout the year. But, mate, Raging Void, Isolation, Means to an End, Capital Enslavement. Yeah, it's worth four, one listen and chuck a couple on a playlist. Yeah, four really great solid thrash tracks. I, I like this, and it was a great surprise to me, because after Machine Messiah, I was like, man, I'd be cool if Sepultura just, just stopped and just did a couple of tours, and then just like was like, okay, we're hanging up our boots, man, thanks for sick for a sick 30 years. But, uh, mate, you know what? No, keep it going, man. Um... Uh, this is uh, this is really solid. I like this. So moving yep. on, uh, should I do loathe or silosis next? Let's do loathe. Okay. So uh, new loathe album. Oh, they in and took everything again uh, on the seventh of <laughs> February. Uh, the second album following the Cold Sun, which was out, I believe, in twenty fourteen. Maybe I believe it was twenty fourteen. Although I, I, I could be corrected on that. Lover band I actually caught on to relatively late, only about six months ago. I was at Trees, they were playing a set there, I was with our very good friend Kelsall, I was like, oh, I'll listen to them before we go, so I know what to expect. He was like, don't do that, just come, you'll, they'll play live and you'll get it, I don't want you to listen to them first. I was like, cool, okay. And I got it, man. This really, like, mad intense, brutal, not death metal, but heavy metal atmosphere that was blended with an aura of Deftones. Now, I'm not a massive Deftones fan, but in, in this iteration of Loathe, I, I, I was kind of into it, man. I was... I, I kind of went in in the sense of, like, with no expectations. So, because I had no expectations when I heard the Deftones stuff, it didn't really bother me so much, as opposed to me going in with the expectations of, oh, this band are massive and they're going to be huge and I've heard all these good things about them. And then I hear the Deftones nuances and it, it takes me away from my enjoyment because I don't actually think Deftones just aren't for me. However, got to all in and it took everything. And I'm actually going to pass to you first because I took the lead on Sepultura. You. Oh, I, I'm not into Deftones, but you like Deftones much less than I do. So <laughs> it probably makes yeah. sense for me to pass to you first on this, and then I'll I'll, I'll take it from there. I let in and took everything loud, man. What you feeling? This wasn't for me. Right. Um, this this isn't this isn't the sort of um, of sound that I, I particularly enjoy. I want to start by saying that I massively respect the transition. Um, and I don't know this is a difficult thing for a band to do. Uh, a band of, of loath size as well, because um, bands tend not to do this early in their career. Loath early in their career, 
and they're taking a step out to do something that's more progressive and more transgressive, transgressive and more ambitious. And I am 100% all for that. And I absolutely hope this is the start of something great for them and the start of them really finding themselves musically. But it sounded like a transitional album to me where they're still figuring out what they want to be um, because I'm not too sure that they're able to pull off quite um, what they wanted to achieve here with the uh, with the combination of who they used to be and who they are trying to be. It's felt a little bit of an awkward transition. I, I want to say, though, there were lots of lots of things I enjoyed about this album. Um, I really liked the the boldness of the the transitions between the songs. I love the introductory song um, with the almost like whale noises, really ethereal. I thought that was really nice. Um, I like the boldness of trans um, going fading out from one song into the other. I love when the album feels connected. I'm big, a big, big, absolute fan of that. I love, I love um, aggressive evolution started off, and I was like, yes, I'm in. This doesn't even sound doesn't sound like Deftones. It sort of sounds like new metal. It sounds a bit like Gideon. I'm getting North Lane vibes on some of these riffs. This feels like a genuine step forward. Um, when we went into the the lighter stuff, it felt like we were. It wasn't rather than a transition. Felt like it was being cut out and stuck together. Uh, I didn't like that as much. Um, I thought, and I thought then I was like, okay. And then we went back to the, the riffs again. And I was like, yes, a uh, like broken vision rhythm uh, confirmed that yeah, well, new love still want to kick my kick my teeth in a little bit, and I'm all for that. And and that's what that's what that's what made it a little bit bittersweet for me is because I didn't like the the quieter stuff. Just I just didn't think it came across as well. And so when they did the heavy stuff, it made the quieter stuff look worse by comparison for me because it it made the differences seem um 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 even larger. Um, and it it just it's just sort of continued down that vein. And and to be to be to be to be quite truthful, I did I did find it not difficult to listen to I, I just found it a little bit tedious as as the album went on um and i and i get what they were trying to do it just didn't sound quite as successful as i was liked it it sounded a little bit um did, like it was misanthropic but i get misery in music and i get the vibe that you're trying to get across in music i just didn't think some of the vocal melodies um made up for that because other than that it sounded quite monotonal and I've got no, like I want to say, I don't want people to listen to this. Well, you don't like Deftown, so therefore they sound like Deftown so that you didn't like it. That's not it at all. I like bands that do stuff like this. Um, I love Northlane. I love uh, um, Architects when they do stuff like this. I love Slipknot when they do stuff like this. I love Sleep Token when, they, when they've done stuff like this. I like bands that really take these sort of risks. And Holding Absence did this really successfully. I just don't think the vocal melodies who were here to carry off the sort of the sort of vibe they were trying to give. Because essentially, when you strip all the riffs back and you strip all the chaos back and you play it as as basic and low as it as it has been played on this some of these albums, the melodies have to be absolutely perfect and beautiful and really engaging. And I didn't think this did it. At, at times, it was great, and at times, like I thought, the Red Room, for example, I thought. The intro, the drums, the deathly riff combination was excellent. Um, it did feel a bit obligatory, the Red Room, but then it went into like screaming, like with echoey vocals that were like difficult to hear and and things like that, and it, it just felt a bit repetitive. Um, and as the as the album gone on, I was like, okay, like I'm just waiting for that style to come back in and again. And and while there were some lovely moments on this album, I thought overall. I understand the direction they're trying to get in, and I do mean that in the nicest possible way. I just didn't think it come across as well as they would have hoped, and it, it sounded a bit mixed and jumbled for me, and it just didn't work. 
this is the greatest compliment I can give this record, me personally. I'm going to give Deftones another go. Oh, 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 wow. I really like this. Okay, fair enough, man. Like, like, with different people, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, man. Mate, Two Way Mirror, which is one of the songs you were referencing when you were like, I, I wasn't in, I wasn't really into the slow-out, more melodic, plodding stuff. I think Two Way Mirror's great, and Eric Bickerstaff sounds brilliant on that one. And I think there's something to be said for Loud. And what I'm about to say isn't the only reason why I think this album's really good. But <laughs> I think this took fucking balls from Loath oh, to, to do this And that's why, that's why I want to say like, I was so complimentary of the step and I think that should continue to do that. Because this is the first album where there's real expectation on Loath. When The Cold Sun came out, there was somewhat of an unknown. When they did the split EP with Holding Absence, This Is As One, it only had two songs on it. This album's come out and Loath have begun to get this name spreading around metal and people are like starting to put hopes on Loath to be a band that can take UK alternative music forward. And instead of just doing an album that kicks your fucking face off so they can support every metal band on the next big tour, instead, they've done this mismatch of the thing that they already know they're brilliant at and the thing they really want to get brilliant at. And I, I think it actually works really well. The start of New Faces in the Dark, that kind of uh, electro-pop 1975 meets Panic at the Disco kind of element, was sick. That then breaks into a really heavy new metal dark track I loved. The transition from theme into aggressive evolution was tremendous. I absolutely love that. Like As you mentioned, that build-up into that really dirty, heavy, really low-tuned guitar tone. Yeah, I thought it was superb, and there's enough. It surprises me that you're not into this because I do feel like there's enough here for you to completely ignore the areas that they go a bit too far into death was... territory for your liking. There were heavy moment... heavy on, is sorry. the head. Sorry, heavy is the head. Brutal, yeah. gored, brutal. Two way yeah. um, broken vision rhythm. An aggressive evolution, brutal. New face in the dark after that intro is also really brutal. So I'm surprised that you didn't find enough there to be like, okay, put a pin in the areas that are a bit too deft townsy for me. The what the bits that aren't are fucking great. Yeah, I think the the, the moments it sounded the best for me was when they sounded like Fight Star. There was a bit of fight, there was a Fight Star vibe on this. And it, it, in terms of the way that the, the vocals were mixed and the way that it transitioned out of stuff, but and and I, I thought Gord was really good. Um, I got I got the I got the sharp and dangerous sounding loathe. And and new face at the dark. The, the opening riff on that is is tremendous. Really really terrific. How about that final breakdown in Gord though? Yeah, it's 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 outrageous, <laughs> outrageous. It, it just juxtaposed against the other stuff. It felt obligatory. That was the only issue. But um. For, for 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 me, it's just it didn't come across well, and and at best it sounded like a band that are really really growing and are on the cusp of something that's going to be very impactful. And at its worst, it just lost me. I thought it was a bit tedious. It sounded, it just didn't it just didn't fit well. It it I don't know. It, it's it's not for me. It's not my it's not my the sort of thing that I would typically align myself with. I just didn't think the vocals here were strong enough. They felt a bit misanthropic and and sort of single uh sort of monothematic in it sort of consistently and you know it you know there were there were, there were times there were times where it just didn't it didn't work for me that's all 
I think this album's great. Uh, another ex- here's a reason why we love doing the podcast, man. But we have different opinions. I think this album's really good, and I think that this is very brave step from them. I think it's a step they've done particularly well. And as someone who's not a Deftones fan, I'm listening to this album thinking, you know what? I'll give them another go because it's worth pointing out that there's much, much, much more influence in this album than just Deftones. I don't want people to listen to this and think this is heavy metal with Deftones in. There are a cacophony of influences that make their way into this album. Agreed. Part Agreed. of what part of what makes the album for me such an interesting listen. But I hear this. I hear the brutality that surrounds the melodic vocals that are done in a really atmospheric and echoed way I think it works I think this is fucking bold as shit but I think this is an example of a band that have absolutely got the workings there to be something really great I'd recommend this to most metalheads I think this has got something man listen to Aggressive Evolution and Gord and I think at the very least you'll get some fucking swing mosh moments out of them, out of them tracks because they're absolutely brutal. I, I, I really, really like this and I think this is an album that will stay with me throughout most of the year. I think I, I'm not saying like, oh my God, this could be my album of the year list. <laughs> not on the first podcast that we've done in a year. But I think this will be an album that I'll continue to at least revisit throughout the year because I, I was very, very impressed. Massively bold, brave, and fucking creative and interesting, man. We don't always hear interesting albums, especially on this podcast. Some of it is a bit like, yeah, they did that album that you knew they were going to do. This is interesting. I love interesting music, man. I'm all about this. Cool. Final album review of the show, Sam. Mate, uh, this is going to be great. Psylosis, uh, Cycle of Suffering. For, for those who aren't familiar with Psylosis, again, another album out on the February the 7th, by the way, worth me pointing out on Nuclear Blast. For those who aren't familiar with Psylosis, uh, Josh Middleton, architect's guitarist. Basically, Psylosis, you could say, theoretically, is him. Because he's Does he like... take a day off? <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? He is the lead songwriter. And it's worth me mentioning that this is the first time I've ever listened to a Psylosis album in full. We've got a, a really good friend of ours, uh, Will, Will Edwards, who... <laughs> I remember I was at Download with him, and I was like, "Oh, man, you know, I don't, I've never really listened to Silosis," and I thought that he was going like, to leave. What? I thought he was going to leave me in the festival on my own, like, and get all these mates to leave me as well, and I'd just be walking around Donington Park on my own for the next five days. He was like, "I can't believe." He was like, "You love Architects, though," and I was like, "Yeah, man, Architects are wicked, and Josh Middleton's amazing." He was like, "So why the fuck have you listened to Silosis, you fool?" Uh, and I was like, "I don't know, man. I'll try." And I started getting into um, listening to like, you know, that that. There's songs on Spotify, the top 10, that kind of stuff. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I can see this is a great band, but so much music exists that I've just never had the chance to sit down and go all in on a 12-track album from Silosis. Cycle of Suffering. Mate, this is fucking phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah, man, this is brilliant, mate. I, I absolutely love this. So we were talking earlier about Sepultura, a thrash metal that was somewhat of a nod to the you know the late eighties. If you were still into the late eighties thrash, you'd you'd really like this. This is the greatest example of modern thrash 
I've heard, and that's including Peritrip. I, I, I feel like making that point. This isn't just a thrash album, by the way, but it, that's, that's the drama that I feel like it closest aligns to on a regular basis. And I think this is the greatest example of modern thrash, including Peritrip. It's an interesting, it's an interesting claim because it's more than just that, and I agree with that. And I think, I think, yeah, Silosis can spearhead a a thrash renaissance. No, no doubt, no doubt about it. I hear early as I lay dying in this as well. There is a mixture, like I say, it's not just thrash. Of course, but mate, let's just get straight into the the real bones of the record. Josh Middleton, uh, what a performance this is. He sings as well on this, by the way. Yeah. Um. Some of these riffs are, are like amazing. I, 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 I just want to find out how it works. So does he like? Do you think he sits in a room right for like a year and a half and just every riff he writes he sends to Architects and then for the next year and a half every riff he writes he sends to Silosis, or does he write stuff during the Architects period that he's like, oh, I'll put that in my pocket, or does he write stuff in Silosis and be like, oh, Sam and Carter would love that. Do you know what I mean? Or does he just send them everything he got? Either way, I think it's astonishing. Um, because great guitarists can't write the amount of riffs he's written in on this 12-track album. And he wrote this and perhaps one of the great metal albums of the last 10 years, 18 months ago. Uh, is anyone else having... Has anyone, else a be- has anyone had a better two and a half years in metal? I don't like, believe so. It's astonishing to think about. So, like... Some of the guitar work in here, I, I just want to sort of rattle through it um, a little bit. Um, I wrote this, I wrote some notes just for myself, just so I could remember. And even I'm writing stuff in capitals for me. <laughs> like I was there. And I don't need this re-explained to me. Um, like the amount of times I've just put stuff in capitals about the, the guitar. So cycle of suffering um with with the, the tapping um i sever at the start with that that fucking introduction yeah with the, 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 that's gonna be the new skyrim theme and if it's not i'm complaining um the the the, the section at the end of cycle of suffering where it breaks down to that melodic part um apex of disdain of disdain the solo at the end of apex of disdain which by the way is my new favorite phrase for any time i'm annoyed by anything um is just mind melding and there was a point in this you know the song arms like a noose where two minutes in it breaks into a breakdown with no fucking prior warning yeah. whatsoever yeah. it just it fades out for like two seconds it's like duh, 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 duh. i actually i was sitting at work downloading this onto my works computer definitely shouldn't have done that but i did it anyway because i love the i love the job um <laughs> And honest to God, I sat back and you know the pose I'm making. I put yeah, my arms yeah. behind my head like you did when you saw that phone get dropped. And yeah. I was just like, <laughs> no. It he's was, done it. He's done he's, it. He's fucking at it again. <laughs> it was astonishing. Um, I think it I think it slowed down in the last three tunes. But the opening like seven or eight songs off this just blew me away absolutely blew me away the musicianship is incredible i will say that the guitarist is so good that i don't actually care about any of the other <laughs> the yeah, other, josh other, is other absurd. members at all josh is absurd like the, there's a point where i didn't even notice that there was a vocalist half the time or a drummer um legitimately 
I can just a point, 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 point. Will Edwards loves them, and he's a guitarist. And you can understand why, because if yeah. I heard these when I was fourteen, I think my head would have exploded. Um, it's not like overtly. Te- I want to say it's not like overtly technical. There's not loads of, loads of tempo changes. This isn't like listening to like animals as leaders. You can understand that a bloke sat down and done this. It's just terrific. It's just hard to explain. There's lots of little lovely elements of different portions of great metal in this album. There's like bits of modern metal. There's a bit. You know, there's a bit of it that sounds a bit architecty sometimes in some of the choruses, but there's a lot of it that makes it sound like, oh, that's Children of Bottom, that's As I Lay Dying, that's fucking um, a whole host. It was like, oh, that's that's fucking Anthrax, there's a bit of Exodus, that's Slayer. And it, it's a combination of thrash and, and modern metal and stuff, and it's one of the great metal, one of the great metal guitarist performances um, of the last sort of a year and a half. After the last great. Metal guitar performances he put in on the last fucking album he played for a different band. It's it's just it's just ex- extraordinary, it really is. Um, so shout to shout to Mr. Middleton um, and shout to Silosis. This is terrific. My I really didn't expect it to be this good either, by the way, at all. My understanding of the situation with Silosis was that Josh, because he's producer, lead writer, guitarist, and vocalist. He would really agonise over every single segment of every single song, and he got fucking fed up of it. So when he went into Architects, and uh, and obviously Architects, it's about the band, and not it's not all on him. And they've got to write, and obviously he's not the lead songwriter. Um, D- uh, Dan, the drummer, is. He was like, fucking hell, it's a breath of fresh air that I needed. To not have to sit and agonise over every single fucking riff in a song. To have to work as a band to come up with something instead of him being, like, the, the lead guy. But it, it says in the interview with him that he'd actually had this written for ages. It's just he put Silasis on the, on the back burner while he was doing his architect stuff. And now architects are on a break. He was like, oh, fucking... Great timing then, because I've had this fucking Silasis album written for, I don't know, a year. So I'll drop that out now and that'll keep me busy for the next few months. But to to get into the actual quality of the album, I, I, I think this is astonishingly brilliant, I do. This is fucking fantastic. Song on this called Shield. Yes. Uh, uh, which is just thematically, beautifully constructed. You know... A great, great piece for three minutes and fifty seconds. It's just a beautifully constructed musicianship. I think it's the song on the album that I appreciate the most because for some reason I, I just get this. I've got the sense that's got that had the most heart going to it. You just get this this thumping sound throughout the entirety. Although it is worth mentioning the start of this album, Empty Profits. That within thirty seconds, I knew I'm gonna fucking love this album. I'm gonna, I am gonna adore this. This is gonna be right up my street. And sometimes I find thrash really boring. Sometimes I get overexposed to it. With this, I was strapped in from the get go. I do also want to make mention of Abandon, which is the final song on the album. Six minutes it is. Now I might be corrected by wrong, corrected if I'm wrong by. Silasis fans who have listened to their albums in full, and this is the first time I've done that with Silasis. But there's a sense of freedom that Josh has got on Abandon that I, I don't believe, or I'd like to wager a bet at least. There's not a song like Abandon in for the rest of Silasis' discography because it, it's very, it's very different, isn't it? 
very stripped back and bare bones and I wouldn't I wouldn't want to say like acoustic but this kind of like stripped down version of Silosis which I've I've certainly never never discovered while shuffling through their discography previously. And I think that freedom has come from the fact that now Josh has had this experience of using other people's ideas, thinking of things outside the box, thinking about what he's learned in architects and trying to apply it here. One of the other things that I really love about this album is that it sounds so different to architects. There are moments where it flickers, but the, you know, I'm really glad this doesn't just mimic the holy hell sound because it would have it would have felt a bit derivative. Do you know what I mean? Yes. This is wholeheartedly different to Architects. These are two different bands. And while I can see where the link came for them deciding, you know who would be great in this band? Fucking Josh Middleton. I can see what, where they've got to that decision. It's equally great that the, the two entities sound completely separate. This is an ode to classic metal. Thrash at its best. Heavy metal at some times... It's most expansive in some areas. And I think it's really fucking tremendous. I absolutely love this. Where I said that I think that Lowell will be an album that I'll probably be going back to throughout most of the year. I think this is an album that will stay with me uh, for the year. Again, not going to be saying, oh my God, it's probably going to be in my album of the year discussion. Uh, not Nowhere near that bold yet. But I will say that I think this album will definitely stick with me throughout the year. This is tremendous. I I, I, am, I would love to put this to Silas's hardcore fans who have, like Will, who has listened to every album and for them to then tell me, yeah man, that album's great, we should listen to this one because if there's a Silas's album out there that's better than this one, motherfucker, I need to find it and listen to that, uh, that shit right now because I, I think this is fucking brilliant. So quality. Um, I mean, you, you're, you're more of a, a fan of... of classic metal than me going into it as the, the biggest straight up metal fan out of the two of us what's not here for you do, do you know what I mean um there can't be much missing do you know what I mean if you like small tweaks I don't think he I don't think he does a single pinch harmonic right okay but that's that's like that's like complaining that there aren't enough like hundred thousand thousands on your ice cream do you know what I mean yeah Still pretty fucking good. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's anything here that I, I really wouldn't would um, would have wanted. Um, it's exactly what I. It's like it's the best version of what I thought this was going to be. Uh, it's just terrific. So that was our uh, man. What a comeback episode. For real, man. I've certainly loved it. Uh, so that was um, and the four five. That was uh, episode twenty seven. The Soundcheck, podca- uh, Soundcheck Podcast. My goodness, what's happening to my brain? Of the Noise Podcast. Uh, don't Do stick around. My chat with Adam D'Amico is coming up uh, right after this. It's worth mentioning that on our next episode, in two weeks, we've got another three albums to review. Good Lord. Spanish Love Songs, Suicide Silence and Polaris. The albums just don't stop coming. But those are three albums that um, I'm really, very excited for. I fucking love Spanish Love Songs. Suicide Silence will be an interesting chat because of their last album, which we won't speak too much about. And uh, Polaris, I fucking love as well. So that's going to be, no doubt, a tremendous episode. Thanks for listening to this episode. Don't go away. I'm going to be speaking to Adam D'Amico right after this. We are going to be back in two weeks. We love you. Bye. So I'm now joined by Adam D'Amico of Lorna Shore. Mate, how are you? 
Good, how are you? I'm very well, man. I do believe you are the first American to be on the podcast, which is really sick. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. That's awesome. I'm glad to be a pioneer, a trailblazer in this <laughs> in this endeavor. <laughs> so just to get things off for a difficult question for you right away, um, Lawn and Shaw aren't like a new band. You've actually been around for, for several years. Um, what do you remember from the early days of the formation of the band? <laughs> the early days of the band, um, playing really bad local shows. Um, we kind of sucked. Um, <laughs> that's what I re- that's what I definitely remember for sure. Not being as good as uh, I think we are today. I mean, people might disagree, but <laughs> nonetheless, um, I definitely think that um, we you know played had a hard time getting shows, and as you know, we became a local band had a hard time getting out of the area. So it was just always a grind. I think from the beginning, it's still a grind. Um, so yeah, it's it's just been always just the main thing I've I've come back to is like it's gonna be a grind for this band to like get to where we need to get to. So that's the, that's it's, that's how it was back then. That's how it is now. Do you remember an exact point where the pace started picking up where you were like, oh, I think we're actually onto something here? Yeah, when we released our first music video for Godmaker, I started seeing like how much that was like blowing up. Like we didn't really we didn't really think that was gonna happen. We were just more excited to release the video and like release the EP like. Um, all at the same time so we released it and then like it kind of like took off and we're like holy shit and then right after that we got our first like real like tour we got a we got to tour with carnifex and then started getting like offers from like labels and management and booking agents we're like holy shit okay um that was like our first real like moment of like okay this is actually like starting to work out for us because uh i think we were just unsure about where the band was heading because at that before that we were not getting any shows we were we were barely playing anywhere we were not getting any love for anything. Um, we got turned down a ton. So to finally start seeing it, like in a short period of time that everything, you know, turn around to go from being just a local, like regional band to being like a full national band in such a short period of time was really uh, the first like monumental spike. Looking back at the EP Bound Kingdom, around that time, not a lot of bands sounded like you. You were kind of like this mashup of the Devil Wears Prada and Thy Art Is Murder, kind of, I guess. Um, around that time, who was influencing you in terms of what you were writing? That band, that that record was a mess. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, because um, I think it was because I just joined the band, and they were like, they got rid of their main writer, and they were, and they were like, when, when I came in, they were like, we want to change our sound, we don't know what we want. And I'm like, okay. And everyone just pretty much didn't tell me what they wanted, but they pretty much told me what they don't want. And it's just kind of hard to write a record when you have four other people being like, I don't want to do these things, and all of them are kind of contradicting of each other. So the the album feels very all over the place because us as a band was very all over the place. So like you hear different influences because of the fact that everyone in the band had different styles, and like I didn't really know what to do because I was new to this, so I just kind of like listened to everyone. And um, it's is why I think when Malfissu came out, it felt more cohesive because I was like the only guy that was pretty much you know those uh, the only the only songwriter left, and I was like, fuck it, I'm just gonna do whatever I want to do. But um, yeah, Bone Kingdom was very all over the place. So it was just I couldn't even tell you what like bands were influenced by and, and whatnot. It was just a mess. Um, just like everyone's influence coming out in, in a song, which is why it just feels like madness, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> was the next song you're in the recording studio? Was it the first thing you discussed like, okay, we need to make sure this is much more of a cohesive, uh, more agreed effort this time, as opposed to the, the craziness of Bone Kingdom? Well, what what happened was is that um the our drummer and guitar player left after Bone Kingdom, and they were the ones for me that had a lot of like um 
a lot of like a, the, like a lot shooting a lot of my ideas down. Like I remember I brought the intro to the song Godmaker to practice, and I was like, yeah, listen to this intro. They're like, no, that that would never work. Ironically enough, that intro and like that song did phenomenal for us. Yeah. They, they turned it down right away. So once they left, and I felt like a lot of like the things I couldn't do was like out of the picture. When Malfistu came about, I was like, I'm gonna do whatever I want to do. Um, because we barely were existing. It was just me, our, my old bass player, Gary, and our old vocalist, Tom. And me and Tom were always on the same page as far as what we wanted to do. And, like, Gary was, you know, cool with what we were doing anyway. So we, I was just kind of like, I'm just going to take the reins and do whatever it is I want to do on this record. And um, that's kind of what happened with that EP is, like, I just didn't have to worry about, like, answering to anyone. And I was like, well, this is what I'm going to do. And then that's what happened. So You mentioned there about how the band was incredibly bare bones especially when uh, the drummer left and the bassist left. Was there any point where you were like, oh, I don't know whether this is worth it, man? Oh, yeah. Before, like, Malfistium came out, like, after um, our guitar player and drummer left, I didn't really know what to think of it because they were the ones that ran the band. Like, all I did in the band was I just wrote the songs and played guitar. I didn't know how to run a band. They had, like, they're the ones that had the band and trailer. They're the ones that had, like, the practice space. Like, we went back to just being, like, barely existing. Um, we couldn't really play any shows like until like we got Austin, our current drummer, like filled in for us. But like we really were, it was impossible. Like I was like, I don't even know how we're to do this because like I don't know how to run a band. I can just be, I can just kind of write the songs and that's about it. And then uh, we just managed to figure it out for some reason somehow. <laughs> but uh, moving, yeah, that's kind of how that was. Moving a little bit forward to the present day. Um, interviews that I've read and seen with yourself and other members of the band, you do seem to shy away from calling yourselves a deathcore band at times. Um, is that because you don't really want to be like tied down to a specific genre? You want the ability to kind of like spread your wings and maybe go into other areas? I mean, I don't really even think like even in contextually we're a deathcore band just because we have like a breakdown in like heavy moments does not make us a deathcore band, especially when I listen to like bands that really are like fully deathcore i don't I, I feel like we have similarities but like i feel like we also have so many other differences that a lot of our peers don't do um and also like to be honest to be open to the idea that like we are going to be whatever band we want to be and like not pigeonhole ourselves to like specific like sound because like deathcore as itself is like a subgenre of like a sub sub subgenre yeah you know like so by, by that point it's like why would you want to just like blanket yourself to this like really small niche when like there is so much like endless opportunities and like heavy music to like branch out to so i don't know we don't want to just like typecast ourselves and just being just like a uh just like a deathcore band and i don't really feel like we, we even are even a lot of people have told me that like outside of it they're like yeah you're definitely not deathcore band and i was like okay cool and, then, and once i started hearing from like other people like other peers i'm like okay that's cool to like hear that and like see ourselves differently i started kind of like stepping into that a lot more and being like yeah like we're, we're more than just that um, and we have more ability to do that. And like, especially on this record, we showcase that, like, there's a lot of songs that have like very little to no deathcore elements or some songs that don't have any breakdowns or heavy parts. And then some songs barely have any, like the song immortal only has like one real heavy part and that's really it. And like people still love that, love the music. And that's just what it's, what it's all about. It's like not just being like that 30 second, like heavy breakdown. That's all that everyone knows the band as. And that's what we don't want to be, you know? And I, so I find that really interesting because I do agree with yourself. And even when we go back to Flesh Coffin, um, I remember listening to that and thinking, like, there's deathcore elements, but there's a lot of, like, there's straight death metal. There's kind of blackened metal here. Or this kind of cohesion of several different genres. But usually when I've asked 
band members before, like, they're less open to the idea of, like, shying away from Deathcore. I don't know what it is. Something about <laughs> bands, they like being tied to that drama. So it's really interesting that you're like, oh, I guess we're kind of into it, but we're not a Deathcore band. Right. I mean, we have moments of it. We're not going to deny that. And we're not going to, like, act like we're superior to that. But, like, I don't think that that just describes the band who we are, which is why we just kind of just kind of broaden ourselves as being like just a heavy metal band because we draw influences from like other things like, you know, draw influence from like death metal, draw influence from like blackened bands and, and stuff like that. And, and we wouldn't want to pigeonhole ourselves into like one of those genres either. Like we wouldn't want to just say like, we're just a death metal band because we're not just a death metal band. We have death metal elements. We have definitely death metal inspired parts, but like, we're not just that either. So like, we don't really, we want to have the endless possibility to do whatever the fuck we want to do. Um, as opposed to just being like set in our ways and, it's weird because most people that when it comes to like deathcore either embrace it like fully or try denying it when they're actually, it's funny to see like bands that actually are deathcore band trying to deny the fact that they are, yeah. which could be, could be kind of, someone could say that I'm, I'm doing the same thing right now, but needless to say, um, that's why we don't really kind of branch ourselves out of being more than just a metal band. Like that's just kind of what we see ourselves as. And that's how we've always viewed ourselves just being a metal band. Um, and that's kind of what we always see ourselves as. And that allows us to be able to do what it is that we want to do because we see ourselves in a bigger scope than just like this tight niche. From the research that I've done, going into Flesh Coffin, which was uh, your last record, uh, you already had a pretty strong idea of what the album's going to sound like before you were even like tracking it, really. Which I do think you can tell when you look at the album like thematically, like from Offering a Fire all the way down to the title track, the, the album flows and makes sense as a whole. Did you take that concept of already knowing what was going to be on the album before you even recorded it, and did you apply it to the new album uh, Immortal. We did not apply to Immortal. <laughs> oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, well, because I think how Flesh Coffin came about was different than how uh, Immortal came about. Like the band was at a different point in time. Like the band was cohesive when Flesh Coffin was was being was was getting written. And uh, I remember me and Tom were talking. We were kind of like having like a loose, like, um, loose script or like a loose kind of like concept, if you will. So it made it easier for us to, as a band to kind of like formulate like what type of songs based off of like what these songs like lyrically are going to be about. So we're like, okay, this is meant to be more of like a heavier song. This is meant to be more of like a more metal song. This is meant to be like create this vibe and create that vibe. So we went into flesh coffin knowing that. And like we demoed all the songs and we wrote the songs and nothing got changed in the studio. So like as the songs went in, when we did flesh coffin is how they came out. So like everything was very concise and like combed through with a fine tooth comb, which is really awesome. And I wish we did that for immortal, but I think things kind of, work out how they're supposed to and with immortal we went in very like open-minded if you will like we knew we wanted to do certain things we knew we wanted to have songs that like had a certain vibe or element to it and, and whatnot but we didn't really have this kind of like thought process like it did in flesh coffin it was kind of it just kind of came to came together in the studio and kind of worked out that way because uh we're able to trust our gut and our instinct as opposed to like having this preconceived like controlled like idea because you were so young when you first joined the band, what specific lessons do you feel like you've learned in terms of the recording process that you've applied to Immortal that's made your experience for Immortal uh, either more positive or more negative? Um, <laughs> I was going to say, if you said more positive, more negative, I would say I could give you a ton of that. <laughs> um, uh, for me, what I think that I've learned, especially on Immortal, was like not trusting myself. Um, Josh, our producer, was really trying to cultivate me, like just trusting my gut. Um, 
you know, and just believing that like I'm capable of doing all this and, and, and just kind of, I have good instincts and I have good ear and, and, and I'm a good player to allow myself to believe that as opposed to just being stuck in my head, being like, Oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. So just my main thing is like trusting your gut and like know that you have the best instincts right now and to not outthink your way out of it. Like, cause music to me is still like an art and like art is created with like emotion and feelings and you can't outthink feelings. You can't outthink emotions. When you try getting logical with your emotions and your feelings, it kind of, works against each other when you just lean into like your emotions and your feelings and like create with like that authenticity is when like things come about and works like which is why i think the song immortal works because it was just very like authentic which is why a lot of songs on immortal work because it's very authentic and just me leaning into like my emotions as opposed to me being like well logically this makes sense because psalms was an example of just me logically thinking a record me being like let me logically do this let me do this or this makes sense we, we should be doing this and i think it just kind of missed the mark because i was being inauthentic whereas as an artist you have to be you get to be very authentic because that's just kind of how you uh, relate to everyone as opposed to just like kind of being like well this is the next logical set for the band like no like be yourself if, if it makes sense to have six breakdowns in a song and that's what you think you should do go ahead and do it if it means to have like a bunch of riffs back to back to back and that's how you feel your music should be written, like go ahead and do it. And, and I, I embrace that like fully. How much of a challenge for you is it for you that like you're like the main quote unquote songwriter? How much pressure do you feel that puts on you when it comes to like demoing and like the, <laughs> the, the, the main piece and together with the structure? Because uh, that is quite a mantle to hold for yourself. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of pressure, but I try to like when I think about the pressure, I I like collapse. You know, I don't get anything <laughs> done. When I just kind of get in the moment of just like, okay, I'm writing this riff, I'm working on the song. Like it allows me to like see things a little bit better because I'm not focused on all the pressure. I'm not like, okay, am I letting the team down? Am I doing this? Like, if I just have that confidence in myself that like I'm capable of doing this, it makes things a, a little bit easier. So I'm not worried about like the grand scope of the thing. Like, okay, if I don't do this, we have no record. It's all my fault. Like, yada, yada, yada. Like you would never get anything done in the headspace as opposed to being like, okay, I'm working right now on this part. Like that's trial and error. It's okay. If it doesn't like work out this way, like, and, and because of the fact that like I've gotten better at demoing, it's helped me a lot more to, to be the songwriter of the band because, you know, having, you know, recording it myself and like demoing it at home on my computer. Like I could hear things how they actually would be. So when you go to the studio, you have a better authentic picture and it's, it's easier for me to move stuff around and, and try things out or be like, you know what? Like this does not work in the song. Like that's okay. Not getting attached to how it's supposed to be. Um, and I learned that on the flesh coffin process. Like there was a lot of songs that like, um, for instance, there were the, the, the main chorus to funeral moon was meant to be an offering of fire. But I was like, this song is going to be like an eight minute long song. Like there's no way we can do this. We're like, let's just make it its own song. And I think now Funeral Moon like feels like it's its own. It's like my favorite song on the record because I gave it the space for it to be its thing. So having that idea during the flesh coffin process of like as much as I wanted to be in the song, it doesn't make any sense, became an idea that I carried on to Immortal where like as much as I like this riff, it probably doesn't belong here. So let me put it in a place where it actually does belong. So uh, there's no pressure really because the fact I think we've learned tools along the way and I'm just more focused on, like, on, the, in the, on the now and in the moment as opposed to just like thinking of all the things I have to do because that would just serve no purpose. That would just make me collapse. Something really interesting you mentioned there was like turning down an idea on one of the songs because you're worried it would go too long. Uh, mm -hmm. We get to total track from the album Immortal and before I pressed play a few days ago, I was like, holy shit, this is seven minutes long. Um, yeah. I was like, man, I've never seen Lorna Shaw do this. 
Um, and when you listen to the song, there's loads of different elements in the music that I've never really heard you guys step into. Did you feel it was important to surprise people with this brand new thematic idea for Laura Shaw for this brand new chapter? It just made sense for the band. We've always wanted to do it on records and never had the time to do it. Like, um, like symphony and production stuff was always like an afterthought. And it would be something that we would like tell producers that we work in with, like, we want this in the song. And they would have to do that on their own. Whereas like, we how we came up with Immortal is that like I came up with the intro chord progression and because we were stuck on the song that was the last song we wrote for the record and I had a couple ideas I had the, the chorus written and um, the outro to the song written which we didn't know was gonna be the outro I just had those parts already like predisposed and maybe the maybe one of the riffs in the song I had but we didn't have it organized um, and I had the the chord progression for for the song because like, Josh was like hey I would just try like writing without the guitar and I was like cool I've done that at home I come up with you know most of my courses I, I come up with that in that in that sort of fashion I come up with like keyboards and and, and and like you know violins and stuff like that that's how I usually write my courses and a lot of my parts um so I did that and I gave it to Josh and he actually like made it sound more like an orchestra and like a symphony I'm like okay cool this sounds like the intro to the song like we have no, <laughs> we have no reason not to make this the intro of the song like it's it's literally written as the intro I can fight it as much as I want but it's absolutely the intro of the song um yeah, we just always wanted to add that element, and we kind of, like, did it a little bit on Flesh Coffin, but it wasn't really, like, that, like, known. Um, and when we did This Is Hell and Darkest Fawn, we really, like, I think cemented that, like, during those two singles of, like, we have all these, like, orchestral elements that we always wanted to because we had the time with those songs as well. So this was one of those things that we had more time to add it to it and, like, be more um, hands-on with it as opposed to just, like, kind of leaving it up in the air. So that's kind of why it came about. It's not like we were, like, consciously thinking, oh, let's add some symphony elements. It's like we've always wanted to, just never did. I was playing the... I've only listened to the album, like, once in the background um, through yesterday because uh, that's when I received it. And you, you can definitely tell when you mention that there that this definitely feels like something that um, that you've come together and it's kind of been pieced together uh, on the fly but like things that feel natural to you um as you were going through the recording process to this was there anything specific that you were looking to get out of this um i mean the one thing i'm always trying to do is just be like myself on a re on a record like just be authentic um just like accomplish that because i think that like I know that it's like kind of woo woo and like all like kind of up in the air and like philosophical, but like realistically, like I think that as an artist and I still believe, you know, we're artists, like you got to be yourself and you got to be like real. Um, and that's what I'm always trying to do when I feel like I'm not being me. I notice that I'm like, this does not feel like me at all. Like, this is not like, this is like us being inauthentic. So like, I'm always the one that's like, this does not feel like me or this does not feel like anything that I would do. And this is just like, I'm always the one that's like really like pushing that like emotional element, like, that's like my my niche, if you will. Like I'm always all, all the emotional vibes of every single song. That's like where I think I shine is really just culminating like my emotional feelings and just put that into the song. Um, and I'm always trying to add that like personality to it because like I do believe that like these songs embody like who I am as a person and embody me because those are all the decisions I make. And um, you know I think that it, it's based off of like kind of who I am. So. I've always enjoyed that aspect of it because I noticed it on Flesh Coffin. I was like, that was like the first time of me just being like myself and like really just truly just kind of going for and just being like authentically me and like being like vulnerable and like emotional and like just kind of like letting that stuff out. And uh, I really enjoyed it and I was kind of hooked on that. So like going into Immortal, I'm like, I, I, I'm going to keep doing the same of it and just really put that emotional spin on the band as opposed to just being like robotic and like mechanical. So that's my, that's my main go-to thing. And just, I'm always trying to create 
you know, variety in the band, like, and try to display ourselves in lights that maybe most people don't see us in, which is why while we have some songs that aren't really as heavy, um, and maybe some songs barely even have breakdowns, some songs, there's songs on the record that don't have any at all. We just try to do things that, like, think outside the box for the band as opposed to be, like, pigeonholed. So that was, like, my main, that was one of my, my other main thing was to uh, really just try to start maturing ourselves in, in a direction that feels like the logical next step of like, okay, we're a more mature band. Like let's display that as opposed to just like, let's pander towards what we think the audience wants. Cause that never works. And you, cause you don't know. So you can't please everyone. So you might as well please yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is true, man. I, I hear that from a lot of bands. So I, I think you're absolutely spot on there. You'll, you'll be pleased to know I've only got a few more questions for you. Mm. Um, this new chapter started for the band. And I'm curious as to what you personally are most excited about going forward, considering that you've already achieved so much when you factor in the idea that literally like six, seven years ago, you have had to scratch and claw just to play a show in your local bar. So what excites you going forward, considering that you've already achieved this massive tick box of achievements? Um, We're really excited to have like a lot of... Uh, I hate to say this, but a lot of the industry involved, like that, we can like rely on. You know, having uh, a solid label like Century Media behind us, we feel very confident that our music is going to go out in, in, in an appropriate fashion and reach the people that it's meant to reach. Um, we're really excited to be a part of that because I think that in the past our music just kind of just came out and, and it's only been relied on like us as a band, not like that additional push that you, that you get that that you get from from a label. So we're really excited about that aspect of it of having like the industry behind us and like really love the band and really excited about the band. So we're really like excited about have that additional like tender love and care. So I feel like we haven't had that. It was just all like self-reliant. Like we had people involved but it wasn't really doing anything other than just being there. I don't really think that we had like that 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 love and that support that I think we've always needed. So having that now is like something that we're really excited about. Um I just think that because of that, I feel we can reach new people and reach new heights and, and, you know, play in front of new audiences and tour with new different bands and, and, and be able to just kind of get the band to the point that I believe that we deserve to be at. Um, and I've always seen the band to become like, I never saw our band just being just like a, you know, big deathcore band, a support band. We've always seen our, our band being as the biggest band that I could possibly become. Um, we never just, we, we ha- had our, you know, eyes set on like, such a large prize that that's why I think we're starting to kind of get to that point and starting to kind of move in that direction. Um, so we're excited about that and whether it happens, it cool. If it doesn't, that's okay. But that's, I think that's what we're really excited about to start seeing the band in the light that we feel is, uh, capable. People have told me before that are in bands. I mean, I, I've never been in a band because I've got no musical talent whatsoever. <laughs> um, but people have told me that have been in bands before that the the grind is actually the, the great part, and then it's when people start trying to get involved. That's when band life becomes monotonous. Is that something that you felt when Lorna Shaw started to become a big deal? Yeah, I can definitely feel that. Um, I feel like when you put a lot of effort and you grind and you're like really trying really hard, you can see like you reap what you sow and you see like the fruits of your labor come to like come to fruition. So it's really awesome to see that, especially like when we were a local band, like playing like VFW and like halls and stuff like that to like being able to go on tour. And it was all based off of like our hard work. It was really, really awesome. And I think that, you know, there are moments that the bands become monotonous, but I think it becomes monotonous if you don't keep pushing. Like we're still a band that, you know, still makes a lot of our decisions 
we're still a band that's always like coming up with new concepts and ideas. We're not just sitting around like, okay, let's let everyone take care of it for us. Like we use the support as it, you know, as it comes, like it, it helps us a lot having the industry involved, but I think we're always still grinding and pushing that it's still, you know, you still can get your fruits of your labor that way because you can kind of reap what you sow because we're still putting in that effort and that grind, if you will, to kind of move on to the next level and then move on to the next level. So, but it does, it, it can get monotonous when you, when you let it, if you just kind of like check in and check out and like clock in and clock out, like, like you would a job. Yes. Touring and, and doing anything with the band becomes very monotonous. Like any, any job would be, but if you're still like pushing and being authentic and grinding, like you, you, you know, it's awesome to see the fruits, you know, like your efforts come, come about. So. Dude, uh, I want to really thank you for your time. Just before I let you go, um, just curious what your favorite track from uh, upcoming album Immortal is, and how proud are you now? It's finished and ready to go, and you're just waiting for people to hear it uh, January thirty first. Um, I can't really decide what my favorite track is. I'll give you my top three in okay. no particular order. Uh, my top three is definitely Immortal, Hollow Sentence, and Relentless Torment. Those are my three favorite songs on the record. Um, I think those like describe me as a whole, like musically and the things that I like to do. I feel like that's like mostly a lot of like my stuff um, on the record. And um, I, I mean, we've been just dying to get this record out. I mean, we recorded the record in February of, you know, this year and we were just like ready to get it out at that point in time. because we've been sitting on these songs since, you know, earlier this year. So we just wanted to come out and it's just been a shame that it hasn't, but things work out the way they're supposed to. And, you know, now we're, for, you know, fortunately for us on a better label that, you know, has been working with heavy metal for so many years that we're really excited to have it reach, I think, the potential it's supposed to. So, um, hey, we're really excited to get it out. Um, I'm sorry that it didn't come out sooner, but nonetheless, <laughs> like, things kind of go the way they're supposed to go. But nonetheless, like, we're really excited to get it out. We're really uh, been seeing so much positive feedback on all the material that's come out, you know, for this record that we're just really excited to, like, put this record out and, like, for people to have it and, like, listen to it and, you know, and, and, and evolve from that point. Uh, dude, this has been a, a real pleasure for me. So thank you so much for giving me. Uh, if you have any other questions, if you have any other questions, I'm giving the, giving this opportunity now. I got I got a little bit of time. Well, do you know what? You know, since you since you said that, I am curious. Uh, who's your favorite band, man? Because I've never seen you mention it in an interview. I never mentioned because uh, uh, my my favorite band is always like changing. But I, if I have to go back to like what band I listen to the most and like constantly go back to, it's like. Uh, I would say like my bands, probably bands like Behemoth and like Necrophages are like oh, my see. favorite, like are my favorite like two two favorite bands. Like, and I think you, you can, after knowing that, you can kind of sense it in our yeah. music to some degree. But yeah, those are my two favorite bands. Like as well as like Dimmu Burger and like, um, and I love the Faceless, like a huge Faceless fan, um, have been for a while. So those are like my favorite like four and the four favorite bands I can think of like right currently um, that I that I always like cycle in and out, and I, it's always constantly changing and evolving and. There's new bands that come in and new bands come out, but those are the, the, the four bands that I always like listen to their records like nonstop and always go back to listening to them at all times. So those those to me are like my favorite like four bands I, I, I can think of right now. Because of the black metal influences that you can hear that run throughout your music, is it difficult to, to balance? Because black metal and the and like some of the deathcore influences and the straight up heavy metal influences that you drop into your music, they are quite different. Even though they are under <coughs> the banner of metal, they are quite right. different styles. Is it hard to balance writing songs that fit all these different elements in you, trying to jigsaw together? Actually, it makes it a lot easier because you have more elements to choose from. So it's, you know, it's, it's challenging to like make it fit, 
but because of the fact that like it makes songwriting for me a lot easier because it's like okay if i'm struggling with like writing more like you know like darker influence parts i go i go okay let me try writing a more like death metal like tech death inspired parts so if i'm struggling with that then i go okay let me try try writing a heavier part and then that gets the juices going so it makes it a lot easier um because there's so many like we tried doing so many different things in the song that um it just kind of it's very easy to bounce around the hard part is like i said making it all mesh but i think because of the fact that we've always just been adding different elements that don't make sense with each other like realistically we've gotten better at just like mending the two parts. So um, because like, since like Malphysium, we've been adding like, you know, really, really heavy parts to like really metal parts, which was like not something that like at that point in time, a lot of bands that we were around were doing. So it, it just became challenging for us and, and that became fun. But uh, it's not, I, I don't think songwriting makes it difficult. I think if we had to like just write like one sound, I think that would be really, really hard to like change things up. This allows us to like really have a lot of variety in each song looking back on on the history of the band what do you remember most fondly thus far i'm sure you've got great memories to come but looking back as we speak what stands out the most um i think something that i i I feel very proud of was that because like flesh coffin to me was such a big like record i think was something that like i put my heart and soul into and to see the success of that record was really awesome to me and uh something monumental for us is that we got to do um summer slaughter that year which was black dahlia playing nocturnal in its entirety so like for me it was just like i'm seeing an album that like literally has like got me to be where i want to be like i was like my, my one of my most pivotal records was nocturnal by black dahlia and to be on summer slaughter with them based off of the work of flesh coffin was like such a like you know awesome thing and like all those shows were like you know the biggest shows that we played at that point in time as a band like consistently every single night and it was just really really awesome to be like to see our band in that like bigger metal stage with like bands that we've always like looked up to like you know before that tour we've always toured with bands we looked up to but like on that monumental of a level like so many bands like you know black dahlia and like dying fetus and the faceless were all on that tour like a lot of my bigger influences all at once based off of the work off flesh coffin was like such a really awesome experience and like shortly after we got to go to europe for never say die and that was just awesome as well to kind of see like all the hard work i put into on this flesh coffin record you know, not just myself, but the rest of the band put into was was able to open up so many doors and be able to go in a place that we didn't think was even possible. So it was that was such a like a really like 2017 was a very like rewarding year because I think we put so much effort into Flesh Coffin that it started finally started to pay off. And, uh, you know, we hope that Immortal does the same thing, if not more. What kind of personality do you have when you're in the recording studio? Are you the guy that's over everyone's shoulder or do you let everyone get on with it and then you pick apart the bones when it's finished? I'm a little bit of both. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little, I'm a little bit of like I've learned on this record to be like hands off and let people do their thing and like let them do their thing and then and then chime in after the song is done, or like be in the room like for uh, also just logically in the studio I couldn't do that because like I was working on guitar stuff while like drums were going on and while like vocals were going on so it's like I fortunately for everyone else in the band they were like cool great adam's in a room by himself locked in in this room so we don't need to hear from him right now but i'm, I'm very open with my opinion and um I, you know i'm not ashamed to say what i have to say like people are able to disagree with me and that's cool i just i'm i'm, I'm not gonna not put my opinion out there uh, whether we take it or don't like that's okay i've got i haven't i've been able to be not attached to like go doing the thing that i want to do um you know we'll, we'll make, i'll make suggestions it doesn't work and i'm like okay cool like that's you know, okay, I still will put up a fight and I will, you know, kick and scream the entire time. But like, I, I, I will defend my opinion until I kind of go, okay, you know what? Maybe this is 
not the battle for me to fight. But uh, I'm definitely very hands-on uh, on some moments, and I'm and I'm very hands-off. Like if I have a if I have a vision for a part, I will say that. If I don't have a vision for a part, I let others kind of do their thing because like they might have a better idea that I didn't think of. So you know, if I if I want drums and vocals to sound like a certain way on a part, I will say that. But if I don't, if I, I kind of like, I don't really know. I just want a guitar to sound this sort of way. Then I'm I'm very open to to what they do. Uh, just to finish off what has been a really cool experience for me, we're at the end of the year, so I guess it would make sense for me to ask you uh, what your favourite record of 2019 is. You strike me as a Shadow of Intent fan. Nope. I mean, I, I, like, I like that band. I, I like the band. Uh, they're you know good friends of mine. I, I wouldn't say it's my favourite record of the year. Um, I think it's a good record. Um, uh, my favourite record of the year, thankfully, this because I, I was really unsure uh, about this year was uh, I think thankfully Cattle Decapitation came out with uh, with their record. Ah, um, Cattle Decap, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Death Atlas was a phenomenal record. Uh, I love it. I listened since it came out. I listened to it so much, like every other day. Um, so it's definitely my favorite record that came out this year. Um, yeah, this year was like a kind of a, 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 a not nothing that was really inspiring me that much this year. Um, you know, there's a lot of bands that came out that like, you know, we've toured with and have been friends with and, and whatnot. And I was just kind of, or like bands that like I normally listen to, but, uh, this year was kind of a little bit of a lull for me. Um, I think yeah, I was kind of unsure. Cause like when, when I saw, I started seeing people like mentioning like the albums of the year, like before Catalog Decapitation came out, I was like, Oh shit, I don't even know what my album of the year is. Like I don't even have one. Yeah. Um, and, and then, um, and then, like I said, uh, uh, like Cattle Decapitation came out. I was excited because we, we were on Summer Slaughter with them this year and they played, I believe, one or two new songs and it was awesome to hear it. So we were ready for like, the, I was, I was ready for the record to come out. So, and then when it came out, I was like, this is awesome. And I listened to it like all the time. So that's probably my favorite record of this year. If I, if I have to like pick one, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Shadow of Intent's a good band, band I like. We, we're friends with them. Um, uh, I think they're, they, they, they put out their best record this year, but it's, yeah. it's not so much a band that I, I guess I try not to listen to a lot of the bands that we were like lumped in with. I do apologize, dude, because I promised that was my last question, but now I've got another one for you. <laughs> that's fine, that's fine. Um, just picking up from what you were saying, basically, uh, you said that there was nothing that really inspired you that came out this year. How important is it, how important is it then for you to inspire you, if you know what I mean? Oh yeah, that's, that's the main, that's like, that's the main purpose of my, like my band and what we do is, is I feel that like we try to fill the gap with what I feel like, we're, like the world is missing. So that's kind of what we try to do as a band is like just kind of put out what I feel like I'm not getting from everyone else. Like I'll get like certain vibes from other bands, but I'm not getting the full complete picture. So that's kind of what my big thing is, is to, uh, is to, um, like fill that void that I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm missing because I'm not getting intrigued by a lot of like heavier music. And, uh, so I, I end up look, looking to other genres and other things to listen to because like, you know, I, I really do believe music is still music regardless of like the genre. Like we still use the same notes and we still have the same kind of vibes regardless of people kind of think like metal and like pop music is different, but like we kind of use the similar types of things. Like there's the same frequency spectrum. We use certain elements to, to, you know, create a melody or certain elements create, create a rhythm. Like it's all the same, just, it just done in a different way. And I try to like be inspired by that because like, if I'm not getting it from like metal, how can I get it from somewhere else? 
dude, what an experience. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, mm-hmm. Immortals out at the end of January. Uh, I can't wait to be able to actually talk about it in more detail um, because from what I heard last night when I played in the background, I was very impressed. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, best of luck with uh, what's going forward for you. I've got no doubt it's going to be a success, man. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate uh, all your questions. Uh, normally, interviews are very... Um, like the same questions you you did your homework and you asked a lot of very useful questions so my kudos go to you because uh a lot of times these things are very dreading (laughs) you know what dude that means a lot to me man uh thank you so much that i really appreciate that kind of stuff oh for sure